Hey everyone, welcome to the Naz Church Weekly Message Podcast. Here you will listen to the preaching pastor from the Naz in Grove City, Ohio. We pray you are inspired by their teachings. We're taking a poll. It's a very controversial poll. One that divides people. So the question is, does pineapple belong on pizza? Okay, there we go, there we go. So if you believe pineapple belongs on pizza, hands up. All right, hands down. If you believe pineapple does not belong on pizza, that's nowhere on pizza, raise your hand. Okay, and then who doesn't care? There, look at all that, people that are apathetic, you're my people, because today's sermon's about apathy. Um, so we're gonna be talking about that. I dressed today, it's kind of funny uh, for me. Um, I got up this morning and this week, as I was working on the sermon, I realized a lot of times with prophets, God will speak to them or make them kind of have to walk through what they're going to be preaching about or talking about. Uh, Hosea, for instance, uh, God was wanting to talk to the nation of Israel about uh, them committing spiritual adultery. So he married, um, he made Hosea marry a prostitute. Um, some of the other prophets had really weird things go on in their lives that kind of fit the message that they were to speak to the people. And so this week, as I was preaching about apathy, I began to get apathetic about some things. But when I got up this morning, I thought, you know what? Um, I don't want to iron my pants, so I'm just going to throw on some sweatpants, right? And I'll just be like the people online, hanging out, watching, drinking their cup of coffee. I'll be there with them. And um, some of you, if you weren't here last week, um, I announced Pastor David and Pastor John. Um, I got to sign an NIL deal with the church softball teams where I sponsor Coke. So I had to wear my Coke shirt, but I forgot that I had worn it yesterday to the men's bacon rally. And um, so I had to get it out of the dirty clothes to put it on. Um, and then I uh, just put on my tennis shoes. I was gonna wear my flip-flops, but they flip and flop too much. So I'm um, going on vacation here sometime this summer. So I usually on vacation, I don't shave. So I decided not to shave. And uh, so I was, then I just thought I'll throw this shirt on. I didn't iron it. I didn't think it would match the shirt, but on camera, everybody said it go, actually goes okay. So things didn't work out right. In fact, we had some visitors here uh, that as I talked about, I was just trying to display apathy, kind of in how I dressed. And um, visitors were going, oh, we just thought it was cool, like you're really relaxed and laid back. And somebody else said, that's not much different than you normally dress. I was like, thanks. So I guess I'm apathetic um, all the time. Uh, apathy hits us in different ways. Uh, sometimes apathy hits us when we've been expecting something and it just hasn't come along to us the way we wanted it to, so we kind of, kind of just give up hope. Um, my mom and dad had been married, like, it's either their 21st anniversary or 23rd, it was a weird one, um, and I was probably eight or nine years old. I just remember going in, um, my dad was not going into work and he always went into work. Uh, when he retired, he had six months of sick leave saved up because he never took days off. And he was just laying in bed. And my mom came in and said, are you not going to work today? He goes, ah, I'm just not really feeling that great. She's like, really? Um, you always go in. Can I get you something? Do you need some medicine? What's going on? He said, no, no, no. I just think I'm going to lay around. He said, um, she's like, okay. So a little while later, she went back in the room. And he's like, hey, look up on, on the dresser there. My coat's up there. Look on the inside pocket. And so she pulls out this thing, and it's a cruise brochure. And um, she starts looking through, and he goes, what would you think of that? And she goes, oh, that, that'd be cool. She goes, it's never going to happen. My dad traveled like crazy for the government. So every six months, 
He was in um, Suriname, Guyana, every, every country, sorry, in South America, except for Suriname, Ghana, and French Guyana. He would go down to the embassies, do stuff, come back, six months, he'd do the whole thing all over again. Um, he traveled all over the world, um, had all kinds of things. So when he would come home, my mom had been cooking for just me and her all the time, and so as soon as he would come home, she'd be like, let's go out to eat. And he's been out eating on the, he's like, no, I want a home-cooked meal. So she was like, let's go on vacation. When we go on vacation, we just went to relatives' house. We never went really cool, exciting places. We did get to go to Disney World um, back when it was free to get in and you had to pay tickets to get on the rides. It was kind of, I'm, that's how old I am. I'm that many days old. Um, so anyway, she's looking at this cruise brochure going, I'm not gonna go on a cruise, we've talked about it. So she's looking and then he goes, um, well look, you know, open it up, look a little more. So she looks and goes, oh, these are tickets. And he was like, yeah, they're tickets. And he goes, look closer. And she goes, that's for today. And he goes, yeah, you better get packed. Um, <laughs> don't do that to your wives, husbands, okay? Uh, let them have a little bit more time to get ready. So she's panicked. What are we gonna do with Dale? And he's like, oh, I've already got um, people that are gonna watch him while we're gone. Um, he's just leaving me at the house with food and I think a, a bone to play with a dog or something. Um, but they took off, they went on this vacation, they had this cruise, it was fun. But my mom had been in this place where she's like, we're not gonna do that, we've talked about it, but it's never happened. That's one way apathy begins to look. Another way apathy begins to look is when you're, you're lulled into thinking that something bad's not gonna happen or something good's never gonna happen. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, um, I still can't believe, I got uh, the first job I had as a youth pastor, I was 21 years old. Um, and they let me be in charge of teenagers at 21 years of age. Um, so I was at this youth group in Little Rock, Arkansas. Maybe that's why they let me do it in Arkansas. They let you drive at like 13 or something. So, um, so I'm the youth pastor. And we go out to um, Southern Nazarene University for this fun game stuff. And the last night, uh, we're getting ready to come home the next morning. We had to get up early, drive all the way back to Little Rock from Oklahoma City. And so I told the, the students, I was like, hey, I need to I need sleep tonight. Um, so I can drive back, so don't keep me up. If y'all keep me up tonight, I will keep y'all up tomorrow. And they're like, no, you won't. You can't keep us up. I sleep through anything. Okay, whatever. So anyway, they kept me up till about two in the morning, and then we had to get up and leave early the next morning. So um, we're driving along, and uh, I'd wait. I, you know, turn the heat up just a little bit so it's slightly warm, just enough to kind of make you tired. And the next thing you know, Everybody in the van is asleep except for the one person that's up, you know, riding shotgun with me to kind of keep me awake. And so I tapped him and I was like, on three, you hit the roof really hard, right? So we count one, two, three. I hit the brakes, turn the wheel. They hit the roof. We yelled, ah! And they did what you just did. People were like, whoa. And they said, I'm like, what, what happened? What happened? I was like, nothing. Like, what are you doing? I was like, well, y'all kept me up last night. I told you I'd keep you up today. So then about every 15 minutes, this would happen. I'd wait till people just about got back to sleep and I would do it again. And they were like, what are you doing? We're so tired. I was going, and I'm so tired, but I got to drive. Um, so I would wait till they would get thinking everything's fine again and then smack them and hit them again. Wah! And so this wake up moment kept hitting and they kept getting scared and scared. After a while, they were just like, whatever. Um, and then we're back um, with the youth group and we're in the, we're in the bus this time. And there's another guy driving the bus because I didn't have my CDL. And uh, we would yell and scream and all that stuff. We're backing up and he looks at a kid in the back seat and he says, um, tell, me when I, tell me when I hit that pole back there. And I'm like, okay. 
So we're backing up, and you know what's coming, right? <laughs> we hit the thing, and the kid goes, you hit it. <laughs> He's like, no, no, no. They were used to accidents. They were used to yelling. They were used to screaming. They just, we just kind of become like, whatever, whatever's going to happen. That's what's happening in the church at Sardis. The letter that Christ writes to the church at Sardis has to do with the church. It's become complacent. They become lazy. They look alive, but they're not really alive. And so Christ wants to speak to them and point it out. Now, the city of Sardis itself was a really cool city. It was up on a hill, so it was, you could attack it from one side, kind of, sort of, but they had all their fortresses there. On the back side was a cliff, so you couldn't get to the city, so they could really keep it protected. In fact, it was thought that this city was impenetrable. Nobody could ever take it or do anything with it until about five, uh, 549, 547 B.C., something like that, um, Cyrus of Persia is coming. And so there are the, the, the Persians are taking everything, over everything. They're wiping everything out. And they get near this city. And uh, a guy by the name of uh, Croesus, he was the, the leader, the ruler in that area. He pulled all these different city-states together. And they went and they met Cyrus in this little ravine where Cyrus couldn't put as many people in there. So they battled and battled and battled for a long time to no end. Nobody's winning. They finally realized this isn't going to go well. So... Croesus leaves, sends all of his guys back to their cities and says, we're going to wait out the winter and then we'll go back in the spring and we'll begin fighting. So they go back to Sardis, Croesus does, he goes back up, he's held up, nobody's going to come try to take Sardis, it's ridiculous, nobody can beat this city, but guess what? Cyrus came. Cyrus came after him, um, Croesus wasn't expecting it, he's up there waiting and then Cyrus begins coming. He tries to besiege the city, but Croesus and his guys are able to thwart him until Cyrus finally realizes we can't take them on. So he tells his guys, you need to go find a way where we can get in the city. And so Herodotus tells a story of one, of one of Cyrus's men goes and watches. They're looking all around the city, and one of them is looking up at the city wall, and a guy drops his helmet, and then he disappears. And then down the side of a cliff in this little hole, this guy comes out, scales down the side of the cliff, gets his helmet, puts it on, climbs back up, goes in the hole, and gets in the city. So he goes back, grabs some other guys, tells Cyrus what they're going to do. So that night, they climb the cliff, they go in through the hole of the city, they go to the front gates, open them up, and Cyrus and his army come in and utterly destroy the city of Sardis. They rebuild the city of Sardis. And then about mm, 350 years later, in about 197, the same thing happens with a guy by the name of, um, um, what was his name? Lagaros, Lagaros of Crete. Not to be confused with Legolas, the elf. Um, so Lagaros of Crete, same thing, takes 15 guys. They hear about, they find that same hole, they go in and they destroy the city of Sardis. city of Sardis is no longer there. There's ruins, you can go look at the ruins uh, but the city just kind of became later utterly decimated. Nothing really went on there. It's, it was on a trade route, lots of trade, lots of commerce, lots of great things happened there. But it wasn't quite the city people had thought it could be. It wasn't indestructible. In fact, Scott Daniel says that uh, in the poetry and the wisdom literature of that day, Sardis became synonymous with the dangers of overconfidence, pride, and arrogance. The history of Sardis demonstrated the need to be aware of enemies who come like a thief in the night. Uh, with that in mind, let me read to you out of Revelation chapter three. 
write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all the things that you do and you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Wake up, strengthen what little remains for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly, repent, and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as an unexpected, as a thief. Yet, there are some in the church of Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy, and all who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for your warnings that you give us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy that you give us. Thank you that you're a just God, you're a loving God, you're a faithful God. As we gather here today, we ask Holy Spirit that you would speak to us. Just as Jesus says at the each, each end of each of these letters, may the church hear what the Spirit is saying to us today, so Spirit speak. Apply this to our lives and help us to understand what it means for us in our day, in our generation, here in Grove City, Columbus, and Central Ohio, and wherever people are listening online. Help us to live this out faithfully, God. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So the church at Sardis is kind of like Aesop's fable, uh, the boy who cried wolf. Uh, for those of you who haven't heard that story, I, I keep thinking, I grew up on Aesop's fables. I remember having the book. Um, it was a scary book. It was a horrible book. Um, Aesop's fables all end very poorly and badly. Children end up dead. Um, it's not like a fun fairy tale book. Uh, so what happens with the boy who cries wolf is uh, the people of the town send this young boy up to watch the sheep. And they say, but there's, there's wild animals out here. So if a wolf comes, yell so we can come up and help you defeat the wolf before it kills you or the sheep. Um, so you need to battle. So the boy's okay, he's up there. And after his you know, first day or so, he thought, ah, I wonder if this really works. Um, I wonder if they'll really come. So he starts yelling wolf to see how long it takes the people to get there. And sure enough, people come running, where's the wolf? And he's like, uh, there's not one. I just wanted to see if he would really come. They're not real happy. Don't do that, right? So they walk away. Um, a few days later, same sort of thing. The boy starts yelling, wolf, wolf. He's alone, he's frustrated, he's tired. Let's see if they'll come. And the people come running. They're going, don't, don't do that. You can't do that. He does it again until finally one day, he's cried wolf enough and there's been no wolf. A real wolf comes. And when the real wolf came, he started yelling wolf. And nobody came. And the story, the story, one of the sheep gets eaten, the boy gets killed, and the moral of the story is, don't lie. Um, so to teach your kids not to lie, tell them if they lie, wolves will eat them. I mean, that, that's the moral of the story. But there's this sense of the people being lulled into thinking nothing's really happening. They've heard warnings enough. They've heard things were happening enough. They've heard it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen, then it didn't happen. They hear this boy, it's not gonna happen. The same thing happened to the church at Sardis. They had believed Jesus was coming back. Jesus had left. He said, I'll be back soon. Soon, apparently, to Jesus was a very relative term. 
they had gotten tired of waiting and there was this sense of, is he, is he coming back? I mean, he told us to be faithful, he told us to be loving, he told us to share this word with others so that they would come to follow him, but he, he's not coming back and it's been a long time. It'd been like 30, 40, 50 years. Now it's been 2,000 years and we're still saying, oh, Christ is coming back. Um, the apostle Peter um, talked about what happens is we can become, in those moments, apathetic. We can become negligent. We can become proud of our past without forgetting what God wants to continue doing. And as we just come, we become lazy. Paul, Peter tells us to be alert in 1 Peter 5 eight. Stay alert, he says. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Wake up! Kind of like I said, sorry, I didn't mean to slam on the brakes on you there, but wake up. Um, he yelled, some of y'all freaking out. Is he gonna yell at us all service? Uh, somebody brought their baby to church for the first time this morning. They're going, if we tell us you're gonna do things like that, it's the baby's first day in church. Wake up, wake up. I don't yell very much, so hopefully when I yell it, you'll wake up. I walk around a lot. I had a lady at my church in Florida. I used to, I preached, I talked faster than I do now. And so I learned how to slow down a bit. because so I would say, if I'm talking too fast, just raise your hand. And so like two weeks later, I'm preaching and this woman in the front row raises her hand. I said, do you have a, do you have a question? She's like, no, you're talking too fast, slow down. Then this other lady came up and said, yes, could you quit walking around so much? And I'm like, I'm sorry, is it distracting? She says, no, when I wake up, I don't know where you are. Thanks, thanks. So I had somebody after service today tell me the same thing. Quit walking around so much. When I wake up, I don't know where you are. Jesus is yelling at us, wake up. Peter's saying, wake up, be ready. Your enemy is there seeking you. Be ready, be prepared at all times. Peter says it later uh, in, in the second book that he wrote. says, you, you've not, you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flames. But we are looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth as he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. So dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives time for people to be saved. That, this is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of scripture. And this will result in their destruction. Be ready, be alert. Why has it taken God so long? If we believe what Peter says, because God doesn't want anyone to perish. God wants everyone 
to know him. He wants people to come to him as, as, their, as their Lord and Savior as well. He wants us to be the ones sharing with him. The last message that he left with us when he said, hey, I'm going to go away was, hey, go into all the world and make disciples. Share with them the love. Share with them. They need to repent. Share with them what I've done for you that can also happen for them. That's what God is calling us to do. That's how he's calling us to live. Um, here's some things, though, that happen to us. We can become complacent because we hear about stuff all over the place. Uh, there's times where I shut off the news because when I watch the news, there's tons of stuff about war. So I, I listen to all these different wars that are going on. Right now in our world, there's about 25 different wars going on. Most of us know about like three or four of them. But if you read the news, you can find out skirmishes going on all over the place. And then you're trying to figure out, okay, which side should I be on in that war? Which side should I be rooting for? Uh, who's, whose side am I supposed to be on? Um, and then the side you wanted wins and then you find out it's worse than it was in the first place. So you can just kind of start going, whatever. I've got friends who have said, you know, I don't really think about poor people, homeless people, because Jesus said, you're always gonna have the poor with you. So since you're always gonna have them, don't worry about helping them. And that's the opposite of what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, you're always going to have the poor with you. There will always be those among you who are struggling, and I've given you to one another so that you continue to help one another. This is what you're here for. But uh, it's so big, I can't help everyone. And then we get the cool analogy some of you have heard before about somebody walking along the beach, and they're throwing the starfish back because there's millions of them on the shore. And somebody goes, you'll never save them all. Yeah, but I can save this one. And it's a really cool story. Until you get tired of saving one at a time, you're like, good grief, I'm not even making a dent. And we can become apathetic. We can become worn out. We can get tired. And we can just say, whatever, Jesus, just come back. Are you even really coming back? Is this really what's supposed to happen? Is this how we're supposed to be living? Wake up! That's what he says when we get that way, right? There's this sense of, whoa, he's coming. Something's going to happen. Something's, don't, don't be lulled into thinking nothing's going on just because something hasn't happened right now. Now, one of the interesting things about us needing to wake up is the fact that God has called us to be active and involved in doing things, but it gets to be tiring after a while. So here's what happens at the church at Sardis. It's kind of something that happens here with us. Um, over this last few weeks, people have come up to me as we've gone through this series in the book of Revelation and uh, here's the kind of statements I've heard. Pastor, this has been an awesome series. This series has been very revealing. Good, I'm glad. Wow, this series has been great. Every week it's opened my eyes to new things. I've taken lots of notes on this one. I'm sure the devil's scared that you've taken notes. Man, Pastor, our people have really needed to hear this. In fact, more people in the world need to hear this. People in our community need to hear this. We need more people coming to church so they can hear this message. Yeah, wouldn't that be neat? Do you hear what's going on? Yeah. There's lots of stuff. Oh, this is good stuff. Good stuff. Somebody needs to hear it. But it doesn't make any change in our lives. It doesn't affect us any. It's just, that's kind of cool to hear. I never thought about that when I read that book. Hmm, that'd be great. Wouldn't it be neat if people did that? You need to preach that more. Rather than, wow, maybe we should take this message out to where people are so that they 
can be here. See, apathy looks different, different places. Um, in school, apathy looks kind of like this. All right, it's summer, so we don't have to worry about that right now. But how many of y'all, that was you when you were in school? Can I get an amen? There we go. Some of you are already asleep, you don't care. Uh, some of us at home, especially during the pandemic, this is what apathy looked like. Yes, I've been online for so long. Can I please get off? Uh, for some of us, when we go to work, apathy looks like this. You know, it's like, I don't know who was driving that. It's like, who cares? Just get the lines down. I have to be straight. Sometimes in the church, apathy looks like this. <laughs> sorry, sorry, we're picking on Ed. But this is what happens to us. I told them, do the kiss cam. No, I'm just kidding, don't do the kiss cam. Um, we have this sense of we come to church, we come in, we sit, we're kind of entertained, we hear some good music, hopefully we hear a decent message, um, and then we go back out and live our lives. Hopefully it made me feel good enough that I can make it through the week. And then I come back and do it again, and after a while, we begin asking ourselves the question, why, why do I go to church? Why am I going? What's the purpose of being together? What, what, is, what is it I'm doing? And Jesus says this to the church at Sardis, be ready. be ready. You appear to be alive, but you're dead on the inside. Uh, the college that I went to, that my kids now go to, had a, had a motto, and uh, like any good college, you have to put it in Latin so nobody knows what it means, right? So for our college, the, the phrase was esse cum videri. Um, and it means this, to be rather than to seem. And what we were taught as I was there in the classes I would take is, we don't want you to seem like something you're not. You need to be who you're saying that you are. It's more important to be something than to seem like something. The church at Sardis seemed alive, but they were dead. If Christ was to come to us today, would he kind of say to us, y'all seem alive, but you're dead. If he were to come to you personally, touches a little closer to home, doesn't it? Would he say, you, you seem alive. I mean, you're breathing. You eat food. You go do stuff. But are you really alive? Are you really living Here's what Jesus says to the church, starting in verse three. He says, here's what you need to do. There's three things you need to do. Um, the first one, he says, he actually says this twice. He says, strengthen what remains, for even what is there is almost dead. Go back to what you've heard and believed at first and hold to it firmly. Go back to the things you learned at the beginning, begin to do those things again. It sounds a lot like what we heard at Ephesus where he says, y'all have gotten really good at keeping the rules, but you forgot the love you had at first. What he says to the church at Sardis is you all have already let the enemy creep in. The enemy already found that little hole in the cliff and they've come up, they've gotten in the city. They may not have opened the doors fully, but they're all around there with you. While you were sleeping, while you weren't paying attention, while you were lethargic, and some of you have already begun to get your clothes dirty. You're not doing the things that I've told you to do. You've gotten lazy in your faith. 
what Jesus is saying to them is not necessarily you all have gone and started doing really bad things. What he's saying to them is there's some things you should be doing that you've quit doing. There's some things that I've called you to do. There's some people that I've called you to be and you're not being that. It's just as bad. Sometimes we think sins are those things that I do that are wrong when Christ is saying, sometimes it's not doing the things I've asked you to do. Go back to the love that you had at first. Go back to those things you learned at the beginning. Secondly, he says, repent. Repent. Turn. Okay, so if I'm, sometimes we think of sin this way. So let me, let me describe for you real quickly as we talk about sin here at this church. Okay, there's, there's what's called original sin. There's sin that's, that's within me, okay? That because of the fall, because of what's going on, we all have sin in us. We were created good, we were created in God's image, but sin has entered this world and it's in us. That sin then causes me to do things I shouldn't. Those are sins. Most often when you hear people preach against things, they're preaching against those sins, those things I'm doing, okay? Y'all know, know those kind of places where you hear that stuff all the time? So it's not that those things don't need to be preached. They need to be preached. But the problem is if I haven't dealt with what's going on inside me, I can't fix those things. God wants to fix what's going on inside me, to cleanse me, to fill me with his Holy Spirit. So I can look alive, but be dead on the inside. God's wanting to give us his Holy Spirit so that I'm not only not doing these bad things, there's also things that God tells us to do that I cannot do without his power and strength. And sometimes we just say, I can't do them. So we quit. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. When you quit doing those things, you look alive, but you're dead on the inside. Wake up, turn now from the things that you're doing and not doing, and turn back to me and start doing what I've called you to do. And then last but not least, wake up. It's time to wake up. It's time for us to wake up. What does that mean? It means for you to begin to take these things seriously, to realize that you have friends and loved ones who are out there that need to know God, that Christ is coming back. He's coming for us. He's coming for those who have, have decided to walk in him and who love him. And um, one of the things that at times gets very awkward is I don't think we believe in heaven and hell and that there's gonna be judgment, that Christ is gonna return and that our friends and loved ones who don't know Christ, who have not been able to accept him, that they are lost. Christ is saying, wake up. It's your job to get out and share with them. So quite often we read this story about a thief in the night um, and we get scared. We think of the devil coming as a thief in the night. That's not at all what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying reminds me of a story. Uh, I heard a professor, uh, not a professor, a pastor preach one time. He preached about the veil in the temple when Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple tore in half. And many people preached that that is so we now have access to God, that we don't have to go through a mediator, we can get right into the Holy Holies, we can pray. And so he preached the whole message about that. And then he got to the very end and he goes, but maybe that's not what the passage is about at all. He said, maybe in the temple in the Holy of Holies, God kept his glory and his presence in there. And now that the veil of the temple is rent in two, it means God can now get out at us. And we should all be very scared. Let's go, I don't like that, dude. And then he just walked off the platform. <laughs> that was it. It's like, you're gonna leave us with that? 
Here's what Jesus is saying. Be ready, be prepared. And here's what he says, I'm coming like a thief in the night. Be ready, be prepared, be watching. Why? Because he loves you. He wants you to look like him. He wants you to reflect him. But he also says, but you need to be alive when I get there. You need to be about the business that I've called you to be about. So church, there's a world that's dying. There's a world that's hurting. There's a world of homeless. There's a world of addicted people around us. There's homes that are falling apart. Have we just gotten used to it? We just kind of go, well, it's just the way the world is. It's always been that way. It always will be. Or is it time we listen to the words of Jesus where he says, hey, go back to when you first got saved. Remember what God did in your life? Remember how excited you were? You remember how you wanted to share it with other people? Go back to that. Repent of the things you're doing. Come back because I'm coming. Don't be apathetic. Would you stand with me this morning? We're gonna take a minute to pray. I'm gonna pray and confess some things for us as a church. But I want you to think about your own life. Has church become this mundane, ritualistic thing I do every week, because I'm supposed to. I go in, I hear a message preached, I sing some songs, I do some stuff, but my life never really changes. It never really flips. I appear alive, but on the inside, I still feel dead. And I need Christ to fill me. I would say to you right now, Christ isn't just coming like a thief in the night when some people talk about like the rapture or the return of Christ. Do I believe Christ is gonna return one day? I do. So don't hear me saying I don't believe that. I believe Christ is gonna return one day. But I think even right now, Christ is moving around. He's looking for those of us that are apathetic and he's saying, I wanna enter your life now. Will you open up? Will you let me be there? Will you let me change this life that you're living? Will you repent and turn from the things where you've just kind of given up and let me fill you with life so you don't just appear to be alive, but you're really alive? Would you pray with me? Father, be with us as a church. Forgive us, God, for at times seeming to be godly, for appearing to do good things. But Lord, we've become somewhat lethargic. There's things going on in our world that you need us to go after. That you need us to go love people. That we need, you need us to take your truth into a world that is dying and hurting. Lord, there are times when we get ready for elections and there are votes and things. I pray that you'd help us to, to open your word, to pray, to, to help ourselves understand what's going on that we would not just kind of let the enemy sneak in wherever because we're not awake. God, help us to be prepared for what you want to do in and through us. Father, I pray that you'd help us to open our hearts and minds. I pray that you Wake up. Um, I pray that you would... <coughs> Sorry, I pray that you would help us, God, to be prepared for what you wanna speak into our lives. I pray right now for individuals who are sitting here. For those, Lord, who maybe they've become apathetic. Maybe they just don't care anymore. God, I pray that you'd help them even now to lay their lives before you and say, Father, fill me. 
Help me to go back to those things you taught me in the beginning. Help me to love others the way you taught me to love them. Help me to share your truth in love the way you taught me to share your truth in love. God, for the person who's sitting here today who's saying, I want to know the love of God. I want to know your salvation. I want to know the power Pastor Dale spoke of that you can fill me with to, to live the life that you created me to live. Father, do that in my life now. And God, I pray that you'd help us as a church, that you would open our eyes, help us to be on the watch, not just for our enemy, but help us to be on the watch for where you are, where you sneak into our lives like a thief, not to steal and kill and destroy, but Lord, in our lives, to bring about the truth, the things that you want to do in and through us. All these things, Father, we ask and we pray in Christ's name, amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. Stay connected with us at thenaz.church.